0: And I think it can get confused or moneyed a little bit more than it could if there was one homeowner. There's still no easy default answer, but I think the, the lines get blurred a little bit when you have non-married partners who co-own a house.
1: Do you know what will happen to your loved ones when something happens to you? If you don't know the answer or don't like the answer, then this is the show for you. Listen up as we teach you about protecting your family legacy through better estate planning. Our family is here to protect yours, so welcome to the Complete Estate Planning Podcast with attorney
2: Nick Rosenbauer, and here's your host, Ben George. Welcome into Complete Estate Planning, where we not only make sure that you're taken care of, but also the ones you love don't have to worry, and we go through a number of different topics on this show uh, to really kind of prepare you for any kind of scenario that you might come across. When somebody passes away, or just preparing uh, your own estate plan, and I think one that's kind of becoming more and more common are unmarried partners. They're you know a couple of people that maybe are in their second relationship, right? Maybe have already been through a divorce and didn't want to get married officially, but everything else is about the same as it would be in a relationship. And the question is, what happens uh, in that situation for unmarried partners? So that's our goal today on. This podcast, so it should be an interesting, very, very interesting conversation, Nick. And this is one that I think you're currently in the middle of working through, right?
0: I have a number of these right now, and there's a couple different scenarios where it comes up. The first one is obviously if someone, uh, it's, if it's not a first marriage. I mean, just how darn expensive they are. And honestly, you know, I didn't have to do this and neither did you, but uh, I don't know if your wife changed uh, and took your last name. But I think, for the women at least, the last thing they want to do is have to go and change their name again. I, I, do, yeah. <laughs> I do sympathize with them. Um, or sometimes, especially if it's uh, later in life, you know, they don't really want to go through the headache of doing it. And then another one, interestingly enough, Ben, and this is sad, I don't mean to make light of it, but situations where people were supposed to get married, and then COVID canceled their wedding, right. and they're in a holding pattern. So, you know, for all intents and purposes, and as far as they're concerned, they're married, but they're not allowed to have a wedding right now for some reason. Mm-hmm. So they're almost in limbo where they're they're married and they obviously are committed to each other, but they don't have the piece of paper uh, from the state uh, or from the church. So that's another one. But there's a number of different issues that come into play. Um, and unfortunately, and I, and, I, and I sympathize with people in this situation because the default answers aren't always done for you. uh, Where, you know, in a situation like my wife and I, everything is both of ours. It's all joint. Something happens to me or happens to her. The spouse is going to keep everything. And then once both of us are gone, everything goes to my son. Makes perfect sense. We'll get into that in a little bit here. Um, But if you're not legally married, that can get a little bit... uh, a little bit there's more ways we can we can go about it and there's not necessarily a default right answer especially when we have separate family okay so we have one spouse has their family from a previous relationship and the other spouse has theirs and then it almost becomes a game of tug of war not intentionally even if everyone gets along but you start looking into who becomes the priority my spouse my partner or my own family, my own children or grandchildren, which there's never a perfect answer there. But as you can imagine, uh, that can make for some tough conversations and a lot of mental heavy lifting, a lot of decisions that need to have more thought put into them than, I guess, a traditional default scenario, if if there is such a thing. Yeah.
2: There's definitely some extra care that goes into these situations. So we're going to try to walk you through that process today. We're going to go through some key areas, housing, uh, finances, you know, your money, and then also the care, uh, who's going to take care of you or the other partner once one of you gets sick. So these are all the things we'll go through on today's episode. And again, we're going to put it up afterwards online at CincinnatiEstatePlan.com. If you haven't visited that website yet, please do. Yeah. You can check out all of our podcasts. We've gone through some great conversations on estate planning, but also Nick has a lot of other resources up there as well. And Then of course, there's a button right there on the front to schedule a meeting. If you want to sit down and discuss anything we're talking about today, even further, or if you just want to set up your estate plans, so it's all there again, online, com. All right, let's jump into this conversation, Nick, about unmarried partners. So let's start with the house. Um, How does this get figured out, right? I mean, who owns it? How's it titled? Who gets to keep it? There's a lot of questions here.
0: Oh boy. Yes, there is. And Ben, obviously, and our listeners are probably sitting there thinking the house is one of the biggest assets, one of the most valuable assets that they own. Usually it's a big chunk of their net worth. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And also it's where you live. So it's not as if we can necessarily just write a check. So, a couple different ways to go about it. If one partner owns the house on his own or her own, what happens if the house owner dies first? Does the other partner inherit and own the house um, outright and then they can do with it as they want? Or if your partner, who's the non homeowner, inherits the house, wh- whose heirs, whose family does it go to? When the second partner passes away, does it go to the second partner's family members because they now own it? Or should it go back to the family of the original owner after the second one passes away? So there's obviously no answer there. Another option is the partner who was the non-homeowner doesn't inherit, okay, doesn't become the new owner of the house, but they're allowed to live there. Okay, so if, uh, let's just say that uh, partner one passes away, who's the homeowner, partner two, and and I don't think it's a good idea to kick them out necessarily because their partner passed away. So do they get to live there until they pass away? And then does the partner, um, who who becomes the tenant almost at that point, and the estate becomes the landlord, does the partner have to pay rent? Do they have to pay the bills, the taxes, the insurance, the upkeep? You know, Do they have to pay the homeowner's insurance on the house that is never theirs, um, but they're getting a free ride? Do they have to pay rent? Do they have to pay property taxes? It's not their house, but at the same time, they get to live there without having to go buy their own place. Do they have to pay rent? I don't know. And then, Ben, what's probably coming into your mind, especially if the original homeowner who's passed away has a separate family, has separate children of their own? Right. Is it fair for the deceased homeowner's family and the surviving partner to be stuck in a landlord-tenant relationship? Right. So if my wife and I were not married and we each had separate children and my wife owned a home and she died and I get to live there, Well, then I'm living in a home that eventually is going to my wife's family. So I'm this tenant and my wife's children are the landlord. And and look, you have to do something, but you can see how that can certainly get hairy. Or what if uh, there's a current arrangement, let's say, where the non-homeowner is actually paying rent right now. So let's say my wife bought the home herself. I moved in. We never got legally married but I'm paying rent or I'm paying half of the mortgage, right? So I'm basically paying rent to her. Do I get some sort of equity that can be passed on to my heirs if the mortgage payment's 2000 a month? So I've been paying $1,000 a month for 20 years to pay this house off. Does that partner who's the non-owner get some sort of equity that can be passed on to their heirs? Or is it lost when I, when we both pass away, the house is sold or inherited by my wife's family. You'll notice, so it's basically, is it treated as a total rent relationship? Where obviously, Ben, you rent an apartment, as soon as you move out, you don't get any money back. It was never yours to begin with. Right. Or do you get credit for the payments that you've made towards the equity in the house, even though it wasn't yours? Okay. So, and Ben, I'm not going to sit here and tell people what's the right answer, we're just going through a few different options. Um, and I hope this doesn't cause some knockdown, drag out fights between any of our listeners that this applies to. Um, there's a number of ways to go about it. No answers right or wrong in all situations. Um, but that's what you have to look at. Okay. So, and that's just assuming that only one partner owns the house and they're the first one to pass away.
2: All right. The last thing I can think of in this situation, Nick, is uh, if both both partners are co-owners of the house.
0: Bingo. That, uh, I think that actually makes it more complicated because I'm not saying there's a perfect answer, but at least we can get a clear cut decision on some boundaries for the first one. But let's say both partners purchase the house together, but they're not legally married. Okay. A few options here. When one partner dies, does the survivor keep the entire house. So, typically that's the way it works with the husband and wife, like if my wife died tomorrow, the house is all mine and vice versa. But if you're not married, what happens? Does the surviving partner keep the whole house, which obviously then goes into their estate, and then they can pass the house all on to their heirs? And then the first one to pass away, their family gets completely cut out? Or does the surviving partner become a 50-50 owner with the the first spouse or the first partner to pass away, do their children become the co-owners? So if my wife dies, um, assuming we weren't married and we have separate children, do I stay 50-50 owner and now my wife's two children become the other 50-50 owners? Can you imagine how that's going to go? Not very easy. And then, so when one spouse passes away or one partner passes away, who owns the house? And then also when both of them pass away, does the house get split equally among the families of both partners? So if my wife and I are unmarried, we have separate families. When both pass away, does half of the house go to my children and half go to her children? Or is it a situation where I died first, the house is all hers, and then when she dies, everything goes to her family, which... In that case, I think it's rather unjust because whoever dies second, their family gets the house. And then also, what if the financial contribution is not equal? What if one spouse has more assets than the other or makes or has a much higher income than the other? Do we account for that? What if uh, they're paying 25% and 75% of all the bills or only one spouse had the money to put into the house? Do we break that up? Do we say after both of them pass away, 75% of the house goes to my family and 25% goes to your family? So you can see how this can get a little bit hairy, and I think it can get confused or muddied a little bit more than it could if there was one homeowner. There's still no easy default answer, but I think the the lines get blurred a little bit when you have non-married partners who co-own a house.
2: Yeah, this is it sounds like something you definitely want to have some help with. Uh, no matter no matter what situation you're in, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts to that that conversation. Which takes us to to the financial aspect, money. Um, you know, I think for a lot of people, this is maybe part of the reason they didn't decided not to get married, right? Is is to not have to try to sort these things out. Um, you know, retirement accounts, savings, all this type of thing. So, how does this get handled?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and they're tough conversations, and I am actually, Ben, I'm non-confrontational by nature myself, so I would be the perfect kind of person to just do whatever I could to avoid this um, myself, but as far as the finances and the money, when, let's say we keep everything separate, which usually will happen in a situation where they don't get married, or maybe they'll have one small joint account for the joint bills, and then they keep the rest of their money separate. The big thing you need to look at is do either of the partners want to financially support or take care of their other partner, and do either of the partners need support, okay? So if the partners keep separate finances, when the first one dies, does the survivor receive an inheritance? Do they receive any money from their partner who's passed away? Um, Again, depends if they want to support each other or if they need the support. A couple ways you can go about it. You can have an outright distribution. So basically, assume my wife and I are not married. I die first. My estate writes her a check, let's say, for a couple hundred thousand dollars. It goes to her. The survivor can spend it on whatever the heck they want, or they can leave it to their own family or their heirs and not to the family of the original owner of the money. So that's one option. You give it to them, but there's no strings attached. You could also hold it in trust to where it's basically in escrow and it's there as a safety net or a savings account if the surviving partner needs it or has medical issues or runs out of money, etc. But whatever they don't need and is left unused can revert back to the original owner's family. So if I die first, uh, my, my wife and I, again, we're not married, the money is staying there To where if she needs it she can access it assuming she runs out of her own money or has a terrible medical issue or something like that and then whatever's left unused in the account goes back to my family okay so that's an option a little bit of strings that you can attach there and whatever's not needed what's not used goes back to the family that's if they keep separate finances that is actually usually cleaner but not everyone does that. If the partners have joint finances, and Ben, you know the big question here. When the first one dies, what happens to all of the money? Does everything stay with the surviving partner? And then what happens? Um, I will say one thing that's very popular that we have done to make clients feel comfortable is what if you did a partial distribution to the deceased, the person who passed away first, their family so you make sure their family gets something okay so if i die first and let's say i have two separate children maybe i give my separate children they immediately get some money so they get something from dad and then the rest stays with uh, my partner who i obviously want to take care of but that way i know that my children got something that's an option or do we give everything to the surviving partner I give everything to my wife. And then what does that mean? Can she change the inheritance plan? Does she have the ability to cut my family out? Let's say my children don't get along with my partner, okay? And then my partner says, forget this. They're mean to me. I haven't. T- they haven't come visit me ever since uh, their father died. I don't want to leave them inheritance. And Ben, that's not unreasonable for someone to think that way. But you run the risk that my money does not ever make it to my children? Or are there restrictions on what the survivor can spend the money on or whether or not they can mess with the inheritance plan? Okay, so you can see if there's joint finances, and I sympathize with, with clients in this, with families in this situation, they have some tough decisions to make here that are maybe not as easy cut and dry with a default right and wrong answer uh, as you would in Again, using air quotes, I guess you could call traditional sense. But again, all things that need to be worked out, there's a number of ways to go about it. But I would definitely employ professional help to get all the options on the table and see what makes the most sense.
2: Okay, beyond assets, let's talk about taking care of each other. Um, oh boy, right? What ha- what happens <laughs> and who's who's that? Who's making that decision now when when one of the partners gets sick after some months passed?
0: Uh, absolutely. So we're mostly. I'm assuming you're mostly referring to if someone gets sick, who will be their decision maker, like a power of attorney. Exactly. Um, So let's say my partner and I, um, we're not married, we each have our own separate children, and I get sick. Should my partner be the one filing the taxes, paying the bills, and control of my checkbook? Should my partner be the one making decisions, talking to the doctor, being in the hospital room? Or should my children, who are my blood descendants and blood relatives, be the ones making the decision instead of my partner? I, I don't know the answer to that. It obviously depends on relationship. And then will either of those answers, usually the answer is yes here. If we have the partner as the decision maker, will that cause hardship or hurt feelings with my children? Or if I name my children as my caretakers and decision-makers, does that cause hardships and hurt feelings with my partner? Okay, so that's one thing to keep in mind. I will say, Ben, if you want your partner, so a non-spouse or a non-family member to be the decision-maker, you really need to make sure you get your paperwork arranged the right way with a professional, because otherwise, saying this is my boyfriend or this is my girlfriend or we live together, that's not going to get you anywhere, okay? And if you don't have your affairs in order, I'm telling you, you'll be dead in the water. Um, But if you want a partner who is unmarried to be making decisions and taking care of you because you trust them, you need to make sure you have your affairs in order. Otherwise, you're in trouble. Now, you have the ability to do that. So if you get your plan in order the right way, you have the ability to pick whomever you want, but it's not just going to fall to your, and I, and I don't mean this to sound in a immature way, but your boyfriend, your girlfriend, or your partner. Um, you can make sure that they have access and can do what needs to be done, but you need to be on the offensive here, and you need to make sure that you talk to someone and get your plan put together. Otherwise, they're going to get shut out.
2: Man, I could see how this can be a very... Difficult situation for you, Nick, to be working through these things with uh, with people right now. But let's let's kind of wrap up the conversation. What what is the overall priority discussion, or what should it be for people um, in this in this situation? Do you think?
0: Well, Ben, and it's it's not so much tough for me. I can lay all the options out on the table, and I can do so in an impartial manner. And in the way I talk to my clients and say, I don't have a dog in the fight here. I think it's hard for the clients, the families that we work with, to come up with the right answer, but I can let them know all of the options and how that will play out in real life. But the problem is they have decisions to make too, Okay, so they have some heavy lifting to do on this as well, which is tough, but it needs to be done. If you avoid it, things will only get worse. The overall, I guess this all boils down to one sentence, are we prioritizing taking care of your partner or are we prioritizing taking care of your children or grandchildren as far as the house as far as the money and then as far as who is going to be your decision maker so who takes precedent your partner Um, and do we discount them just because you didn't go get a marriage certificate or decided you don't didn't want to mess with it the second time around or do we discount their seat at the table just because COVID canceled or delayed your wedding? I don't know. It sounds silly. Or do we say, my partner is my partner. They're first in line. But obviously understand that that puts uh, your children, your grandchildren in the back seat. So it's a balancing act. There are a number of ways to go about it. And I think you can find a happy medium, but it all depends on circumstances. But we need to, we need to sit down and talk about who becomes priority number one.
2: Yeah, a lot of discussions need to be had in this situation. So if you find yourself um, in this spot and you're, you know, maybe you probably had some of these questions already. Hopefully you got some answers today on the podcast, but if you want to go even further with your specific situation, encourage you to reach out to Nick over at Rosenbauer Law Office, but you can find him online, CincinnatiEstatePlan.com. There's a schedule a meeting button right there on the front, a big orange button. You can't miss it. Um, so click on that, schedule a meeting, go through the situation and, and kind of get ahead of it as much as possible. That's always such an important thing to do. And uh, we encourage you to do that. But man, Nick, this is a, this is a very interesting situation. I wouldn't have thought so much goes into it, but I can understand now why it does.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, This is what it takes to do it right and to understand all of your options and not just make a selection, but I think it's best for the families to understand the consequences, good, bad, or indifferent, of that selection. So we have to understand here are all the options, and then if we pick this option, here is the way it plays out in real life. And I think that's the best way to be educated, the best way to understand the consequences of your actions and that's the best way to get it right. Takes a little bit more time, takes a little bit more brain power, but working with a a professional who sees this all day, every single day, that's your best shot at having all the information and making an informed decision. It can be done, just know we have a little bit of work to do to get it there.
2: Absolutely. Well, thanks for the time today, Nick. Appreciate it as always. Encourage everyone to subscribe to the show, please. If you haven't already, spread the word. We appreciate everybody that has We've seen a lot of growth over the last few months, especially, and we appreciate everyone that's reached out. So uh, thanks again for listening and we'll talk to you again on the next episode of Complete Estate Planning. The Complete Estate Planning
1: Podcast is brought to you by the Rosenbauer Law Office based in Westchester, Ohio and serving the entire Cincinnati area. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the show on your favorite app today and never miss an episode. Just search for complete estate planning with Nick Rosenbauer to find us. Or visit Cincinnati Estateplan.com to listen to past episodes, to contact Nick, and to learn more about protecting your family legacy. That's Cincinnati EstatePlan.com.